Welcome to Get Global, Global Health Talks, a show where we get up close and personal with global health advocates from Ireland and around the world. We want to know what is global health? How can people get involved in global health? And specifically, how could you get involved in global health? I'm your host, Nadine Ferris-France from the Irish Global Health Network. Sign up on Spotify, Anchor and all major platforms for our monthly broadcasts. Coming up this episode, we speak to the inspirational Robbie Lawler, who is an active member of the HIV community in Ireland. Here is a quick clip from that broadcast. One person can make a huge difference, a massive difference. Um, All you have to do is believe that you can achieve it, that your voice is worth something. It took me a while to realize that, but when I did realize that, it almost became my superpower. So welcome everybody. I'm absolutely delighted. I cannot tell you how delighted to be speaking with the amazing Robbie Lawler today. Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Now, Robbie, you know, he became an activist within the HIV community since your diagnosis in 2012. You're a member of the European AIDS Treatment Group and you're co-founder of Access to Medicines Ireland. And on top of all of that, you're currently studying a PhD at Dublin City University and you've got a particular interest in grassroots activism and the Access to Medicines movement in Eastern Europe. Um, And I know that your research is focusing on exploring HIV and hep C treatment activism in the Ukraine. So really, really interesting um, background. Robbie, I'd love to just start by saying, you know, how did you get involved in in all of this work? And, you know, we're we're talking about global health here. How did you get involved and why? Oof, Um, (laughs) that takes me back. Well, I suppose what really got me involved was getting HIV. Um, at the age of 21 and not having a clue about HIV, not even knowing it was in this country, not knowing the difference between HIV and AIDS, not understanding how I got HIV, not understanding why my immune system was so low, not understanding the medication I was on. Um, And I knew that if I didn't know any of this, none of my friends or none of my previous partners knew this because we weren't talking about it. And also there was no like, I suppose, role model or no one fighting the corner of HIV in this country back then. But I suppose what really, really got me involved, I I knew there was something fundamentally wrong in terms of education in this country and in Ireland. But what was the worst part of it all was that the more I got involved in peer support and social support, I started gathering this larger and larger cohort of friends living with HIV. And then I just started realizing the stigma that they faced. It's horrendous in this country. Mm. And I have this really, really close friend who lives with HIV. And one day he sent me a screenshot. This was back 2013. And the screenshot was a message of what this guy sent him who we were seeing because the guy found it was HIV positive. And it was horrible, Nadine. It was like, you AIDS riddled C word, you know, um, I never want to touch you again, see you again, I'm going to tell everyone that you're diseased, all of this. It's, it's one of the most horrible text messages I've ever seen. And this is in Ireland in 2012, right? 2012, 2013, right? It's not so long ago. No, no, no. This is like, I wouldn't even call it history. You know? <laughs> in my mind, it's only like last week almost. But, um, and I, I remember shaking my anger and two things came into my head. One was, 
when I actually read the message again, I'm like, it, this is such an ill-reformed, informed message, I should say. It's saying you AIDS riddled. Do you know, um, I know, I can't believe you touched me, even though I know they didn't have a sexual experience, but even if they did, you know, he used safe sex at the time in 2013. We don't know about you because you, but um, he was always safe. And it was just so nasty, but I knew it stemmed from fear and ignorance around HIV. And then the second thing I realized was I'm part of the problem here. I'm part of the problem because I know that there's a gap in knowledge in this country. I know that I have all the support in the world from friends and family. I know that I have a story and a platform to educate people in this country with HIV. And that if I don't use it, if I don't try and make a change, well, then this is just going to continue. My friends are just going to continue to have a really hard time living with one of the most manageable health conditions there is out there when you have access to treatment, the little caveat there. But um, so, uh, so that was my first real, I suppose, boot up the bum saying something needs to be done here. And, you know, interesting, like since, since, since then to now, have you seen stigma changing in Ireland? Have you seen big changes, little changes? Have we still got an awful long way to go? I would say that the change has been huge in this country, huge for so many. And I would say a lot of it has stemmed from grassroots activism. So Act Up Dublin, which I um, was part of the found, found, foundation of, but um, along with really amazing people from the community, I'm saying the queer community in Ireland, we all got together because we were all just angry that no one was really being done about HIV in this country. No politician, no organization was LGBT organization. No one wanted to touch HIV. So we wanted to just take it into our own hands. And we did that. We knew you know, that we needed to get free prep into this country. And from our previous experience with the HSC, what anything got to do with sexual health, you know, we knew to be dragging and kicking our heels when it came to this. So we knew we had to fight for this. And when you say free prep, what do you mean by prep? Just for people who might not be so familiar with that. Yeah, so PrEP uh, stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it's bas basically a HIV prevention drug. So it's this HIV medication that we know if we give to HIV negative people and they take it as prescribed and they're exposed to HIV, there's a little under 100% chance that they will not contract HIV. So this is a real game changer, especially in Ireland, I should also say, we've never had higher HIV rates in this country than ever before. So we're in this kind of crisis of HIV and yet we felt that very little has been done. So the power the, came back to the community. We were like, you know, we're putting a foot down here. And additionally on top of that, we kind of happened side by side with this huge movement of U equals U. So- um, just And U equal U means? Uh, undetectable equals untransmittable. Mm -hmm. And basically this means that people living with HIV who are on effective treatment get the virus so low in their body, in their seminal fluid, in their vaginal fluid, that they cannot pass on HIV sexually. The risk is zero. So this is a game changer in terms of prevention because you wanna get everyone to know their status, get them on treatment, get them undetectable, they can't pass on HIV. But also for the thousands of people living with HIV in this country, for the 500 newly diagnosed every year, this is life-changing because suddenly we don't feel like we're potentially going to put people who will have sex with or lovers or wives or husbands, anyone at risk of contracting HIV. This is just 
the most liberating free thing for people living with HIV. And yet people didn't know it in this country, both people living with HIV and the general population. So we knew that we needed to get out there and fight for free prep, get you you out there. Mm. And so with all of these developments, I mean, if viral load is undetectable and um, we're fighting for U equals U, we're making we're pr- making progress in so many ways. Why does stigma still exist? And I just love to ask you, particularly around self stigma. So there's the stigma that comes from society towards, for instance, people living with HIV. But what about self stigma? How are we on self stigma in this country? Yeah, I'm so happy you brought in stigma and kind of dissected what stigma is even with self-stigma I think it's a big huge failing in the global health community around HIV when we just say oh we need zero stigma and discrimination because how do you overcome stigma you can't just lump it all into one stigma is um we, we really need to break down stigma to overcome it um so um you know Goffman Irvin Goffman amazing sociologist who talks about stigma breaks it down to enacted stigma so people saying things negatively or discriminating based upon your stigma Perceive stigma as in, I'm not telling my church because they'll kick me out. I'm not telling my mom because she'll never talk to me again. And then there's internalized stigma, which is, I feel dirty. I feel less. I feel like, um, I feel second rate. It's how does HIV make you feel about yourself? And for me, and many I know live HIV, that is the, one of the hardest things to overcome. How do we overcome what society made us feel about ourselves? And, you know, Robbie, when when you say that you have been, um, you know, I'm very passionate about self-stigma and I've seen I've done some research in Ireland as well, working with with HIV positive people. And I know self-stigma is is huge. It's really divisive. But you are like a a light in that. It's like self-stigma. It's like it was not going to get you. You were not going to let self-stigma get you. And how did you do that? And how could you what's your your, you know, your message, your advice for other people who are maybe living with HIV and, and could be inspired by you do you know what um uh, it wasn't just an acceptance i'm not a problem here it was a process so at the beginning i did feel that i did feel dirty or unclean those things that i told myself and i believed and i was in a relationship with a doctor at the time and he made me feel those things like everything that went wrong in the relationship was due to my hiv status when it shouldn't have been and i accepted that because i'm like well, this is my life now. And it took me to get into an all-time low. It took me to having a support of friends and family to like, Robbie, you don't deserve this. Do you know, you're an amazing friend, you're an amazing son, you're an amazing boyfriend. Do you know, why are you allowing HIV, someone to make you feel less because of HIV? And I remember just sitting down one day, I'm like, never, ever again will I allow anyone or myself to make me feel less because of my HIV status, because I am not less. I am not the problem. I'm not dirty. I'm not unclean. And if people say negative things about me, it's not a reflection on me. It's a reflection on their ignorance and fear around HIV, or it's just a reflection on them as people, because you know, you're always gonna get bad eggs. You're always gonna get stigmatizing people. But that's not my problem. (laughs) that's their problem that's society's problem um and once you get to that level of acceptance and realization that you're not a problem it lessens the perceived stigma it lessens the enacted stigma because people have less of a power over you then 
because you have power in yourself. And it was a process to really understand that, to learn that, and not only to live it. And I see people do it all the time. When I see people, I, I call HIV a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. because I get to hear stories of bravery, resilience every day about how people overcome internalized stigma, how they fight back in inactive stigma. Um, some people need more support than others. And that's why we need really good support networks out there. We need friends, we need a good listening ear. But I, I, everyone really has that ability to get there. And I, I do see a shift in this country for people living with HIV. I really, really, and that's exciting. There's momentum here and we just got to keep it going. Mm. And I know, Robbie, you say, you know, you've been inspired. You get to really hear the stories of, of people who inspire you every day with, you know, resilience and, and other stories. You traveled quite a bit um, in, in, in along this journey and you met people from different countries, people from the global south, uh, people from the states. I mean, what did you learn from um, from meeting other people living with HIV in different countries that you were able to bring back into your own activism and into your own life? Um, I, I can't even put into words how much this has changed my life. Just exposure and meeting people from all around the world and what they're experiencing with HIV. So for me, the biggest thing back then was to overcome HIV stigma in this country. That was the biggest thing. Then I made these really friends for life, like Brian from Uganda. We toured around the UK, around universities. It was two weeks together, but I feel like he's my brother now. And it was my first introduction to their lack of access to treatment. And I'm on a tour saying, oh, around the UK saying, oh, I'm on my sixth option of HIV medication because of serious side effects, uh, raising my cholesterol, affecting my kidneys, affecting my brain, all these different things. And then Brian from Uganda was telling me that all his family died of AIDS because they didn't have access to the treatment that we had back then. And also the treatment he's on now are the treatments that were really affecting my body. And that's all they have. And I came back from that tour. I'm just using Brian as an example, but I came back from that tour and I was like, I can't just hear all of this, knowing the privilege or the, like that, that my sixth medication is a luxury when people are dying for what I just have, just simply because of the country I was so happened to be born into or the color of my skin. How can I allow that to happen? And because of that, I say introduction to access to medicines and the issues around intellectual property regime, um, I got in contact, I, I, I looked out, I tried to network for people or organizations that are involved in the access to medicines movement in Ireland, and there was none back in 2014, 2015. And because we, I went out searching for it, I met up with these amazing two activists, Dr. Karen Harkin and Dr. Kara Conlon, and together we set up Access to Medicines Ireland. And since then, we've just been growing, growing. Most amazing people have been enjoying, you know, patent lawyers, uh, academics, patient uh, advocates. Uh, anyone who's interested in this movement is welcome to join. And now we're doing Oireachtas Health Committee's <laughs> meetings, or, you know, Oireachtas uh, Foreign Affairs Committees, and we're really pushing for the COVID-19, uh, uh, equitable access to COVID-19 technologies in the world. And, and just to kind of get back to your original point, it's this exposure to global issues and seeing the humanity behind it. I, I think in global health, we hear numbers all the time. How many people die of AIDS every year? But in our lovely countries full of privilege and access to treatment, they're just, it's almost like a dehumanizing effect. You know, you're like, oh, how do we get the numbers down? But when you meet someone like Brian, you're like, how do we save these families? 
And it completely changes the urgency. It changes the way we advocate, I, I would say. So I think we need more exposure to this. We need, mm -hmm. and, and we do, we live in an interconnected world, but how do we, uh, how do we even make this even better is a question that I think we should all ask ourselves. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's what you're doing, leading by example, is making things better. And, you know, when you talk about access to medicines, I know from um, from working with you and the incredible group in Access to Medicines Ireland, um, you know, the issues around the vaccine, access to the COVID vaccine um, have been huge. And I know from our conversations that many of the same issues were the same issues that we were dealing with in HIV and access to HIV medication 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and even five years ago. What are the main issues um, in relation to getting access? If we know what the vaccines are we know what they can do we you know we have companies that can make them pharmaceutical companies we have systems that can disperse them what are the problems why are why aren't we getting those vaccines out there to everybody and we know from mike ryan that no one is safe until we're all safe so what are the issues do you know <laughs> it really breaks my heart that we haven't learned lessons from the hiv response from the aids pandemic um and the, one of the biggest problems is intellectual property so we do have all these COVID-19 technologies. And when I say technologies, I mean diagnostics, therapeutics, medicines, and vaccines, because vaccines aren't just a, you know, a silver bullet. We need all of these things. Um, and unfortunately, because of intellectual property, these um, pharmaceutical companies, they don't have to share these technologies. These don't need other generic manufacturers or pharmaceutical companies allow them to make these uh, vaccines or medicines. And because of that then, we just don't have enough capacity, manufacturing capacity, to make all the vaccines that we need and as quickly as we need them. Um, from the AIDS pandemic, um, MSF and uh, African, uh, the African Union, they created this, uh, they done research and they saw that 12 million people died of AIDS in Africa um, because it took 10 years for the same medication that were available in the global north to reach the global south. And the main, main reason for that was intellectual property. 12 million lives that could have been saved because of intellectual property. Now, the difference here is it's not just as easy as, um, okay, we're gonna remove the patent and all manufacturers, generic manufacturers can make this drug because HIV medications are small molecules, simple molecules. You can any generic manufacturer can really make them. Vaccines are a bit more complex than this. Okay, so we need a technology transfer. So for these pharma companies who make mRNA um, technologies, for example, they need to show other pharma companies how to do this. And we can do this through a transfer technology hub, which World Health Organization are currently setting up. But this is a voluntary basis. These pharma companies. So, so the two things that you'll probably heard a lot about are CTAP and TRIPS waiver. Now, they're not mutually exclusive, but they should work together. So South Africa and India brought forward this TRIPS waiver at the World Trade Organization. And basically this means for a certain amount of time until this pandemic is deemed over, the, all, all the patents on COVID-19 technologies will be waived. That means the patent doesn't exist for this amount of time. However, that's not enough. We also need them to share the technologies with other um, manufacturing, with other pharma companies. Um, and we want to build manufacturing capacity in lower and middle income countries because they don't, they're reliant on higher income countries at the moment. This may take a few months to a year, but we need to start now. The urgency is there. So that's what we're pushing and pushing and pushing. All big health groups across the world have been pushing for this. All lower middle income countries because they know intellectual property have 
been doing uh, the effect of this have been pushing for this and um, for from our point of view in Ireland we're pushing the Irish government to really be leaders in this you know we're in the security mm-hmm. council this is a massive issue for health and security um, and you know what there, there are gains there are gains here but it just feels like we're up against an army of lobbyists because the pharma com- pharmaceutical industry just don't want this mm-hmm. they don't want this so um, but I, I, I do again see movement as Mike Ryan says you know no one's safe until we're all safe. So there is some self-interest in this, of course, and we just need to keep reminding people of not only the moral catastrophe, but the economic catastrophe that the COVID-19 pandemic is. Yeah, and it's like an opportunity, like you say, like calling on humanity. It's an opportunity for everybody to do the right thing. You know, it's like that. You're just getting up in the morning. How can I do the right thing when these issues are challenging us? How can I do the right thing? Um, And I know what you said, Robbie, you know, everybody is welcome to get involved in Access to Medicines Ireland is there for people to to go and have a look at the website and, and, and do what they can. And do the right thing in that way. Um, Robbie, just looking at you, you know, you're such an incredible activist. Your passion is just incredible. We have a lot of young people that we hope will be listening to this show and, you know, who are looking to, you know, who, who have got that kind of tendency to be activists, to be professionals in global health. What would your advice be for younger people listening to this who are wanting to get involved, wanting to make a difference, wanting to do the right thing? Oh my God, this is a great question. I don't think I can give one piece of advice because I got my iPhone away. Somehow I knew you were going to give one piece of advice. Good, we want all of it. Yeah, no, so as someone who went into activism at the age of 21 with zero experience in activism or public speaking or campaigning, do you know, a lot, often a lot of the time you're in the dark here. You're like, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? And if I could give one piece of advice uh, on top of many others that I'll probably give is look for a mentor look for a mentor and you can do that many different ways look out for youth networks that are out there look out for uh, your local global health organization um, and within those organizations find someone who you are like I love what they do I really connect with what they do we have the same we bring the same energy we have the same personalities and ask them to be your mentor and Nadine I'm smiling at you because I would consider you a mentor and these mentors are people who are do you know there's phones always there or an email they send you on opportunities of what's around because do you know Nadine you've been in the game for many years doing incredible work and you've been saying this to me it's like we need to pass on this to the next generation or else it's just going to go to waste almost and I truly truly believe that and, and because of you do you know I got involved in European AIDS treatment group and I'm doing like incredible work there and I've really increased my network of people and that's why I'm doing my research in Ukraine because European AIDS treatment group and thanks to you and you've given me so many opportunities to speak give me a great platform you have me on this podcast so I would say fundamentally just find someone who you know you can look up to and they don't necessarily have to say they're your mentor you know I don't have to but just look up to people you look up to build relationships it's networking 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 as well it's all I know it's quite cringe and everyone likes it but it's a massive massive part of this game as well and the other thing I want to tell young people is one person can make a huge difference, a massive difference. Um, all you have to do is believe that you can achieve it, that your voice is worth something. It took me a while to realize that, but when I did realize that, it almost became my superpower. And, you know, when we get involved in global health, 
we know that there's systematic changes we need to make to make this world a better and more equitable place. But when you get involved in this, you know, there are tiny little wins you can uh, make the whole time and you're chipping away at this broken system. And isn't it just the most incredible thing to think that as young people or as people, as global citizens, that we can all achieve, that we can be part of these even small wins to make systematic reform. For me, that is just a life worth living. That is worth getting into this area, um, knowing that we can make even a small change to make the world and make systems much better. Robbie, thank you. And I know people listening, you know, just like you said, with with your phone, I know you're available for people. You're available if somebody is thinking that that you could be a mentor for them or they want to bounce ideas off you. I know you're also always, always available. And um, I want to thank you. This was an absolute privilege, just like it has been a privilege watching you grow and develop. And um, sorry, it's not the Tommy Tiernan show. We're not that big yet, but you never know. It could get that big. Um, but it's really a privilege. And you're just an incredible person and um, we're just wishing you the best of luck. We look forward to watching you lead in all sorts of ways, lead, lead this country, lead the movement, lead us on HIV stigma, and um, we're here to support you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Nadine. And look, we don't need another Tommy Turning show. I think the world is ready for an Nadine Ferris French show. <laughs> I, would, I would have to say it's a Robbie Lawler show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Thanks so much for having me, Nadine. Thanks, guys. So thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more and get involved in the Irish Global Health Network, then go to our website, sign up, become a member and see how you can be active. Go to www.globalhealth.ie and we look forward to the next episode. <laughs>